0: Don Crawford Jr. Here's Michael and Don.
1: Thank you once again for listening to another estate planning essentials program. My name is Don Crawford Jr. Sitting here with Dallas Elder Law Attorney Michael Cohen, and both of us are once again mightily committed to protecting your family, your assets, and you over the next half an hour. And I say to you, good day, Michael Cohen. How are you? Doing well, Don. How about yourself? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Today, Michael, the theme is always air beware, unless we talk about government assistance, and even that uh, theme applies, but air beware. And in this case, you wanted to discuss disinheriting an estranged adult child. What does that mean, and why do you want to talk about that?
2: A lot of times, people... Unfortunately, some things happen in life, and you may want to disinherit uh, a child. You may no longer talk to them. You know, it used to say, uh, there used to be an expression that money can't buy happiness, but it keeps the kids in touch. Uh, But but that that doesn't always work.
1: Right. No.
2: So, you know, it could be, I remember the movie, Avalon, where people just stop when somebody cut the turkey without somebody else, uh, one of the other relatives there, and then they just stop talking for, for decades and no. over something that was so so meaningless. No. Right. But a lot of times uh, there's fights in family because of uh, emotional issues, and for whatever reason they didn't treat me fairly, or some for some reason I know, mm-hmm. uh, you know I why didn't you thank me for paying for your college education. Yeah. Why didn't you? Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, I'm, that's a real thing that I've heard. Uh, yeah. And so why they decide to disinherit. And so uh, it's it could be either the parents or it could be the child. It doesn't really make any difference. And it, it, I, I remember during the election, uh, uh, people had different political views. And yep. a parent may say, okay, well, I'm not going to give that person because – Their views are different than mine. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it could be any number of things. It's not a right or wrong thing. In the United States, uh, we don't have uh, a right to an inheritance. So you could say in your will or trust anything that you want. Remember we talked, um, oh, I think it was sometime last year, about the French Elvis who had like this $100 million estate. Uh, On his fourth wife, he named his uh, fourth wife and the children of that marriage as his beneficiaries, but he had children in France, uh, the French laws were different. In the French laws, they uh, your children have to get a portion of your estate. Mm. So the laws of different countries are different than they are in the United States. There's no God-given right to an inheritance, and so a lot of times people will uh, try to disinherit one way or another their child in their estate planning documents. So uh, because of that, that's uh, a topic that I thought that may be of interest to some, not that because you don't love your children or whatever, but it may be that you decide that somebody is more well-to-do, or it could be that uh, it could be any number of things. So you don't have to have a reason uh, for disinheriting a child, and it's your assets that you've done in your life that you've accumulated. So Um, You could do with it whatever you want. And some people may use that to their advantage. Like I said, uh, some parents might say, well, like I said, well, it keeps the kids closer if uh, I got the strings uh, attached. Right, always. Yeah, and and so a lot of times we'll see that different children have different reactions to handling a parent or discussing a parent or a parent discussing things about a child.
1: Mm -hmm. And
2: so... It's something that it's not unusual in our discussion regarding estate planning when somebody is either to uh, get either disinherited or get less funds uh, than uh, another child, let's say. And, mm-hmm. and usually when that um, occurs, there's more likelihood of a contest if you have a will. Mm-hmm. And when you don't get equal, then there's more likelihood of, a contest now, although, as you may recall, we talked about on one of our shows we had a i'm gonna say a greedy child, but sorry to say it that way, but it's the way I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, the child there was a will contest in which the the husband or dad had given everything to mom, wife, and then equally to the four children, and one of the four children thought that that was unfair, that they mm-hmm. should get more than their equal share, and they contested a will. And held things up, costing the estate probably $100,000. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And so it's, it's things like that. That's why I say the greedy child. Uh, and because I was disturbing that there were people acting such a way. But anyway, that's the way it is. That's the nature. Mm-hmm. Money, you know, sometimes is the root of all evil. And yeah. so here we go. Yeah. So if you are going to disinherit that child, the first thing you should do is you should probably not just forget to mention the child, but you should probably mention if you have a will, you should mention that you uh, the name of that child, mm-hmm. uh, so that you didn't say that you it was just accidentally overlooked. Oh, I forgot to mention him. We have uh, a will right now that we're probating. Uh, they had twelve children, uh, and the. Yeah, it's the little old lady who lived in the Shoe, but whatever. And they said 12 children. They mentioned them by name, but they forgot in their will to mention one of the 12 children. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: and, and so we know what the intent is, but will one of the others be greedy? It's unknown, uh, but we don't think that there'll be a problem. But usually you want to mention the name of a child, if they're especially if they're going to be disinherited. Um, so it's not purposely overlooked. But you probably shouldn't state the reasons for disinheriting the child. Hmm. Now, if you do, then you're going to be more likely to uh, give information to the child to say, no, uh, that's not true, and let me show you why. Right. And, you know, I'm disinheriting you because you did X. Well, no, I didn't do that. That was just a misunderstanding. This is what really happened. So you're giving more grounds for somebody to contest a will. A lot of times what we'll do is we'll say, the reason for the disinheritance is that I have given to the extent that I desired during my lifetime. A lot of times people may have given more to a child during their life, and they say, well, I've given to them all through the life, and so they've gotten their share in advance. Uh, By the way, Mm. uh, a lot of kids think that they should be entitled to their inheritance before a parent dies. That's not really the case. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, You can't spend somebody else's money until it's yours. Yeah, so uh, a lot of kids, unfortunately, I say kids, or whoever the beneficiaries might be, uh, want to think of it as their own. Uh, but th- we always do the two-finger test. Uh, it's like determining errors. If you put your two fingers on your wrist and you have a pulse, that means you haven't died yet. Exactly. So it's not yours yet until somebody dies, rumors of your death have been greatly exaggerated. Right. So... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, uh, but a lot of times people don't seem to think of it that way. Another common uh, mistake, uh, not necessarily a mistake, you know, a lot of times people put down, you get a dollar. Uh, And and it's good to have, and we do this a lot of times too, uh, just as kind of a, so that people think that they're being disinherited and they only get a dollar. But it really doesn't necessarily stop somebody from contesting the will. If it's only a dollar, Um, then, you know, maybe they need an incentive. Oh, I really could risk uh, loss of a portion of the estate if I'm entitled to more. On the one that we talked about just a second ago, where it was, uh, quite frankly, we knew that this child was a greedy child. Uh, the, the, The father, where it said, originally wanted to cut out that child. I said, well, when you do that, you're asking for a will contest. This is the only will that we've ever had contested that I have ever prepared, one that said all to the spouse and then equally to the four children. I said, "Look, you're asking for a will contest. You should probably just say it equally to the children." Mm. She contested, and the reason why she eventually dropped the case was because she risked getting her one fourth share. Mm. So, uh, when she got uh, uh, you know this, you know claims of whatever she might do. She run, ran the risk. So if you give a certain amount of money, maybe that may, that may I say that may, uh, uh, reduce the risk of them contesting. But not always. There was a recent case. And not only that, but I'm going to tell you another case that happened, not for us, but it was just a case that was recently decided in Texas, where the father had three children. Uh, he had some specific bequest, a certain amount. So in this case, uh, he said, I want this particular bank account, half of this bank account and the mutual funds to go to this particular daughter. The daughter uh, said, and then then you know maybe other specific bequests, the other two children. After the uh, dad died, the executor of the will, which was not that daughter that I was just mentioning, Contested the will, saying that dad didn't know what he was doing. He had either lack capacity or there was undue influence. The most common reason for people to contest a will is either undue influence or lack of mental capacity or perhaps duress, but generally the first two. And so she was, so this particular daughter. Um, was contesting the will because she wasn't getting an equal share. Uh, and that the executor, one of the other daughters, had given her this mutual funds. The daughter who had accepted that mutual fund after the will had been probated then c- contested the will. Now, you say, well, I'm second here. Is there an issue? This went all the way up, by the way, to the Supreme Court of Texas. The reason for that, she was saying, well, dad lacked uh, was ha- was undoing the influence. I didn't get my third share. However, I'll take the money that I got, I took it, and uh, and but I'm contesting the will, saying that still wouldn't be equal to one-third, so it's okay to contest the will. Mm-hmm. The uh, Supreme Court at reversing an appeals court decision said no, once you took the funds as part of the will. You either, if you had not accepted the funds, then you may have had a, a claim. But you see, it was then the burden. The burden of proof was then upon. The first thing you have to show, when you have a, when I'm not, I'm not a litigator. Uh, I'm a lover, not a fighter. But anyway, the when when you have a will contest, the first thing you have to show that you're an interested party. So, like you're an heir, a devisee, somebody would take under the will, maybe a creditor, spouse, uh, those type of people. Uh, could make a claim. Otherwise, they're just an intruder to a somebody's estate. So once you've said, okay, I'm an interested party, I could contest the will. And then it's the duty of the person trying to defend the will to say why you shouldn't be entitled to contest. In this case, the uh, since the 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 people, the executor said, look, they accepted the money. So you accept the money, so you're saying, I think the, the will's good for this portion, but not for this portion? Right? Uh, no, it doesn't work. That It's not sort of pregnant. Either yeah. you received the funds uh, and you accepted the will, is what the Supreme Court said, or you uh, didn't, and she had accepted the funds. Now, if it had been, by the way, let's say a bank account that didn't go by the will. A lot of times we have, uh, you know, if you have a beneficiary designation, let's say you had a paid-on-death account, uh or maybe it was community property then you you know that goes without saying that may not go by the will and so as a result if it had been something like that it would not have been an issue because it wasn't going by the will but in this case I give mutual funds to daughter and half of this other account now she didn't receive it, by the way the other half of the account She'd just taken the mutual funds. But by taking the mutual funds in and of itself, which went by the will, she was admitting she was a stopped is what they say. The legal term is she was a stopped. She was denied the right to contest the will because she had accepted funds in accordance with the will. Hmm. That was the Supreme Court's decision. And so even if you give some funds to a child, doesn't mean that they may not contest. They could contest but they have to be careful. So if you're an unwitting uh, beneficiary and you accepted the funds and you planned on contesting, you might not take those funds. And I'm sure most people don't know what the law is. Uh, so uh, that you have to be careful if you think that you're going to contest that you just don't take the funds according to the will and then
1: say that the will no good. Makes perfect sense. Uh, I don't blame you uh, I don't for, for saying that. I don't blame the Supreme Court for deciding that. It seems right and fair to me and that's another example of um, incredible avarice that people will have um, the greed that they will demonstrate um, and someone just told me today when I was walking the dog yes it's all about the money follow all the money whether it's big corporate big tech or just a small individual caretaker who wants uh, to make a money grab for whatever purposes and it's very sad but whichever the case you may have a situation like that And if you do, you should attend Michael's next workshop to get some questions answered that you may have. His next workshop is Saturday, June the 12th at 10 o'clock. It is free. It is online, so you never have to leave your house. It's via Zoom, so it's a couple clicks, and you're right there. And you get to experience Michael Cohen and his superb and exceptional education when it comes to estate planning and government assistance. And, Michael, tell him what goes on at those workshops.
2: Well, we ask people what what they want to know. Mm -hmm. Is it going to be uh, something about planning in a will? Is it going to be something about planning in a trust? Is it dealing with public benefits? Is it some new law? Is there going to be any new estate laws? Is there going to be any gift tax laws? Is there going to be, uh, you know, with the infrastructure bill coming for us is there going to be some other planning that we need to do is there going to be is it could it be a situation where you have a loved one going into a nursing home and how are you going to pay for the cost of care if medicare is insufficient which it generally is uh, do you have long-term care insurance it could be about veterans benefits it could be you know if you're the widow of a wartime veteran you're in assisted living it could be that you might be entitled to uh, some public benefits it could be how do you plan uh, either for Whatever the situation is, if you're concerned about uh, spouse remarrying or concerned about your child's spouse remarrying or they're, uh, if they're disabled or if they have credit issues or if they're a spendthrift or if they're – you the, the list goes on. We yeah. never know what people are going to ask, and so every workshop we do, which we've been doing for over eight years now, every workshop that we do, they're different because yeah. we never know the questions that people were asked. I was asked for the first time – uh, just uh, one last month about breast and cervical cancer Medicaid. I've never had that question asked about before, hmm. but it was. And so there's 109 Medicaid programs, by the way. And so you can see that that could get into all sorts of different areas in and of itself. Sure. So we ask people what they want to know. And then you're generally going to learn something about the questions from the questions that the others asked as to your own situation. And so Um, I think that you're going to learn something and I think you're going to have some fun if you go to that free estate planning essentials workshop. As you said, the next one is on Saturday, uh, June the 12th at 10 a.m. To sign up, all you have to do is call 214-720-0102 or sign up online at dallaselderlawyer.com. That's dallaselderlawyer.com. For those who do go to the free State Planning Essentials Workshop, we also give the option and not the obligation where they can have a free one-hour vision meeting, we call it, with me to go over your situation individually more in depth if you would like. And again, it's no obligation. If you don't do anything, that's fine. Just go on and learn something and we're all just leave off as friends and and kind of go from there. But to do that, again, all you have to do is call that 214 720-0102 number or sign up online at dallaselderlawyer.com
1: for that three free hours of legal education on your estate planning questions. I have a friend who is now a butcher at Central Market, one of the 10 or 15 butchers behind the counter there, but she used to be a bank manager. And after working at um, Wells Fargo for many, many years, she snapped, got emotional, um, orally attacked the boss um, by saying things she shouldn't have, and they fired her. And that's the lesson to be learned, is she regrets it to this day, that she just lost it and shouldn't have. And if you want to be an estranged adult child, that's all it takes. You pop off like that, and the individual uh, who has the money, the parent typically, uh, may estrange you, if that's a verb, may cut you out of the will, And then you're left with nothing and uh, air beware again. That's that's the biggest concern that I have for individuals because it it is a house of cards sometimes depending upon what kind of parent we're talking about. But also when it comes to that caretaker, Michael, my question for you is when you say under the influence, my goodness, that could be a lot of things where that caretaker – could brainwash that individual and say, well, did you know that the new administration or the new president or the new house or senate, they've got these new laws now, and if you don't make these changes, then you're going to lose everything and just threaten them into making changes to their benefit, but certainly not to the owner of the will. Well, first of all, I want
2: to say that I certainly, if if your friend who's the butcher um, is a volatile person, I don't know that I would want to Get a volatile butcher uh mad at me but that's a different story <laughs> it was true so talking about cut out uh you might have yeah, some other right. things cut out and I, mm-hmm, i'm not sure right. that, that would be a good thing but uh, <laughs> undue influence is a common issue and so a lot of times when people uh, are signing a will let's say you have a child uh, or a trust or whatever it may be uh, if they're in the same room as you and you're a beneficiary then sometimes it could lead to grounds of undue influence. Oh, you were there, you told them what to sign for whatever reason. uh, You were, you know, it it could be, uh, you know, especially in a situation where we think that there could be a potential contest, then it probably would be uh, advisable for the beneficiary not to be in the room uh, at the time of the signing. Uh, I imagine, again, I'm not a, a litigator, but, you know, it could be argued, oh, you took them to the attorney's office. Well, you said something then. You uh, were there in the room. You were uh, did this or that that they would try to argue undue influence. And, of course, so just capacity is not the only issue. So a lot of times, like when we have a, a will signing or some other documents that are being signed, estate planning documents like powers of attorney or other you know common estate planning documents, uh, when there's a questionable situation, we often get a geriatric psychiatrist or psychologist to execute a uh, sign, a capacity affidavit that said, A, I investigate, I I examine the patient slash client. When I examine them simultaneously or very close to the signing of the will or the trust or whatever the document be, the person had sufficient mental capacity. But does that mean that they... Uh, weren't unduly influenced no it could still be the arguments of undue influence which was the which was what was the person the child that accepted that mutual fund uh, was saying she said oh when dad signed that will she was he was unduly influenced the problem of course she had was even if there was undue influence she accepted funds uh, under the will which caused her case to be dismissed by the Supreme Court. So when, one, one thing you should probably do, by the way, is to make things a little bit easier as far as planning is to, to reduce the risk is to have a living trust or have some sort of trust. Because you see, when you have a will, there's a period of time for somebody to contest. Now, some people can, you could sue on the trust just like you could on a will. But a will is a public document, and you have to go by the state's rules. So you, you, when you file the will, it's a matter – anybody could see the will. It's public record. And you have to – there has to be citation that's at least posted, which means that it gives time for people to contest. Uh, Beneficiaries should be notified. There are certain rules that um, have to be followed when you have a will. And with the trust, it's private. So you don't have to go through all the different laws that the state has when you have a will. So a lot of people would like to have a trust because it reduces risk, doesn't eliminate risk, but it reduces risk, uh, you would think, because it is private. Uh, You don't have to give those notices, et cetera. Uh, Somebody could demand an accounting uh, if somebody acted badly, if a trustee acted badly. But still, the fact of the matter is a living trust may be one of the solutions to reduce risk, just like we were talking about before, maybe giving a certain amount of money, a certain dollar amount may reduce risk. Well, if you have a trust, then that reduces the risk more. And so it's really, you know, I always look at estate planning documents as kind of like insurance, Power of attorney might be a cheap disability insurance policy. A trust may avoid probate, avoid the state's laws, avoid uh, there's less risk, things remain private. If you have property in different states, you might not have to probate in more than one state. So it just depends upon, there are other types of trust, of course, that reduce risk of long term care. We do sometimes we do trust, depending if it's Medicaid or veterans benefits, where we plan to reduce risk for. Help for governmental assistance or or protection from creditors or bad marriages or spouses remarrying or somebody being a spendthrift or whatever, like we were talking about before. So it's all about what do you want to ensure? What are your goals? And so if if a will contest is a, a avoidance is something you want to do. Well, there's things that you should do or maybe even do it trust, as we talked about. So the planning for each individual is different based upon what their own goals are. And so it's just a matter of determining what the goals are of the client,
1: because really all that matters in estate planning is what are your goals. Exactly. The options are endless and you need to determine what is best for you, what levers to pull. Michael knows all of those and that get, you have now the opportunity to ask about them uh, coming up in this next workshop. Sign up for that. It's on Saturday, June the 12th at 10 o'clock. To sign up for that Zoom-free uh, online estate planning essentials workshop, dial 214-720-0102 or go to DallasElderLawyer.com. Michael Cohen, thank you, sir. Thank you, Doc.